Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every week. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as nature N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Hello, welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. I'm Trevor Cochran. It's Monday morning over here in the West. It's midday on the East Coast and we are going to talk gardens for the next hour. Got a fantastic program packed with some really good information. Of course, it is all about answering your questions, but we'll show you some plants that you should be thinking about putting into your garden just at the moment. Look, another two to three weeks, fingers crossed, we're going to be starting to see some cooling conditions, some better opportunities for plants to be put into the ground. And that's a really good time for us to be talking to David Van Berkel from Garden Express, which we'll do a bit later on. He's got a great deal for you. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, I have just had the most difficult time keeping my plants alive over here in the West. Uh, for those of you who live in Western Australia and are tuning in, you'll know what I'm talking about. We've had something like 11 days over 40 degrees um, and everything is starting to cook. It really is dry and challenging and there's a lot of things that you can be doing to get better results from your garden this time of the year. I'll share those with you a little bit later on. I've got a great plant of the week, which is an indoor plant. I thought, well, let's go back to one of my favourites, but this one is indestructible. You can't kill this. And it's one that um, you really don't have to do a lot of watering or anything to get great results. But of course, it is all about answering your questions. So let's get on with that. If you like what we're saying, obviously hit your like button. It shares it with your friends and we can all participate. And look, the other thing that uh, is very, very important, of course, is that you let us know where you are from. Uh, so what town or city and obviously the state. It really does make a big difference because the weather is so variable at the moment. In fact, in Victoria, New South Wales, uh, even Brisbane and Adelaide, you are going to be in mid to low 20s this week. We would kill for that. We were just having a chat before we went to air here about at the moment when we get an early 30s, we're really happy over here in the West and sort of talks about just what a difficult summer we, we've had over here. But it's also been hot and dry in Melbourne. In fact, um, if you've been watching the Australian Open, which I'm sure you and uh, I think it's about uh, 10 million other Australians have been, uh, you'll have seen just how hot it's been for those players in Melbourne. But Melbourne does have a welcome cooling break coming in the middle of the week. So um, that will change everything again. Now, let's get on with our, with our show and with your questions. And I think probably uh, the very first one we should do is, is a good friend of ours. It's Christine from Sterling. Hello, Christine. 
you said your native friend Japani is looking really, really sad. Now, interestingly enough, it is looking pretty sad and it's lacking in a couple of things. One is it's probably been brought on by this hot weather, but it is lacking in iron and magnesium, Christine. So this is kind of a trace element deficiency and it's not an unusual one to get with a native frangipani. Normally they'd have those dark, glossy leaves, but of course, um, if they're lacking some of those mineral nutrients, you'll start to see it showing up in the leaf color. And that's what's quite evident here is that yellowing. So solution, um, short term, I would look at getting some iron sulfate. Um, one of the things with iron sulfate does is it does acidify the soil a little bit. And Christine, sterling tends to have quite alkaline soil. So I'm su suggesting when your soil is alkaline, what it tends to do is lock up some of those key green nutrients, magnesium and iron being two of them that are just not available. They can actually be in the soil, but they're not available to the plant. So by adding iron sulfate, you're acidifying the soil, you're, you're bringing your pH back to a neutral sort of position, which means most of the, the nutrients that plants need are available to them. So iron sulfate, and then the second one, of course, is Epsom salts. And I think it's gonna be a combination of both. You really probably should be putting them into a watering can, ideally, literally mixing them up so that they're they're completely soluble and then watering the ground around the base of the tree. And that's going to, to have a pretty instant effect. You'll see within maybe a month to six weeks, you should see greening occurring. You may need to do this a few times because it's quite a severe sort of case, as you can see in these leaves. Okay, right. Let's keep rolling on. In fact, one of the things we're going to do each week is we're going to bring you some video submissions. We'd like you to send a video of your garden problem and, uh, and ask the question yourself. It's a great way for us to interact and get to know each other even a little bit better. Um, Sharon from Victoria sent this one in. Yes, hi, my name is Sharon. I was just wondering if this is a real passion fruit or is it something I should get rid of? This is the fruit that it has and it tastes like nothing. Hoping you can help. Bye. All right. Well, that's a pretty interesting question. Now, it's a classic because what you've actually got there, when you see the foliage of the plant, it kind of gives it away. So the, the foliage is the classic rootstock used for grafting Nelly Kelly and also those Panama red and gold passion fruit. It's a variety called um, Passiflora carula, carula meaning blue. So you should be seeing blue flowers and it has a little orange round fruit and it does have pulp in it, but the pulp's got no real taste. It's not the passion fruit taste that we love. Unfortunately, uh, that's just bad news for you, I'm afraid, Sharon. It just means that passion fruit's got to come out. That rootstock can actually be quite a problem in gardens if it's left to run wild. So I would rip it out, it's time to put in a new one. And of course, you know, if you want to shop around and have a bit of a look, you'll find that passion fruit particularly in cooler climates, will do better if they're grafted. So it's one of the one of the things, um, Corolla is a cooler climate passion fruit, and that's why it's used as a grafting rootstock because Nelly Kelly Nurseries, which is based in Victoria, in, in just out of Melbourne, um, is uh, in very cool conditions and they want to grow their passion fruit all year round. So that's one of the reasons why they use that particular rootstock. It's, it is a really good one. In sandy soils, it's quite problematic though. So you'll tend to find it tends to sucker up. It will take off and grow and take over the plants. So I always suggest that if you're in sandy soils, if you're in the northern beaches of Sydney or 
you know, you're in uh, the Mornington Peninsula or over here in the west and you've got, you know, a sandy base, you're often better to be using a seedling variety. So there's quite a lot of those available too in your local garden centre. So you can get them grafted or seedlings. And look, folks, there is a lesson here. And Sharon, take this one on board. Um, what happens is a rootstock is effectively a wild passion fruit. So very vigorous and it will grow pretty much all year round. Grafted into the top of that is the variety that we want. Generally, it's a black passion fruit variety and it'll be grafted in and all the energy and all the, the, the vigor that comes from that wild rootstock goes up into, into the top plant and it causes it to, to grow and really sort of take off and, and move quite fast. And that's what it's all about. But if that rootstock sends off any little side shoots, they will quickly grow around the outside and take off and cover um, the original plant. No more energy will go to that. And eventually the, the one that you want will die out and unfortunately the rootstock will take over, which is exactly what you've seen in your garden, Sharon. So the trick is where the skin is, so the, the um, grafting point is, if you see any growth and they will push shuckers up from that growth underneath coming out, don't cut it with your secateurs, grab your finger, and pull it away, pull those buds away. It blinds any other buds and stops sort of any sort of vigorous growth occurring. So hopefully that helps. And great video question, Sharon. It's lovely. I think we've got one more coming up a little bit later on. Folks, please send us your video submissions. It does help a lot when you're talking it through and you're showing me the problem that's actually occurring in your garden. Now, one of the other things you can do is send us photos. And Tyson, who's also in Victoria and a great supporter, has sent us this one. What is the problem with the plant? The leaves are brown um, and will it need to be watered? Can you offer me some advice and tips? Now, Tyson, looking at that plant, when I had a really close look at the soil, you can actually see the soil has contracted in the pot. There's a gap around the outside edge of the soil and the pot. And this is just a classic sign that that soil has literally, the moisture has been sucked up, it's dried up and it's contracted, you are not watering that plant enough and the plant's showing classic heat stress damage. You should be watering it in now with uh, ideally a seaweed extract is the perfect way to go. So if you're putting in a seaweed or a seaweed fish emulsion combination, it's going to give the plant the best chance it can to come back. But look, there's a key message here and that is that in these hot, dry conditions, you may need to be out watering once even twice a day. Over here in Perth, absolutely, because we've got another another sort of, I think at least seven or eight days of mid to high 30s um, coming off, what, 11 or 12, 40 degree, 40 plus degree days. Um, it's unbelievably stressful for plants when they're put under those sorts of conditions. So watering them regularly, using that seaweed extract, really important. It makes such a big difference. All right, we're staying in Melbourne. Um, now, Wendy, I'm not sure about this. Um, Wendy has said, what insects attack pigface and how can I combat it? Well, for a start, you don't need to call me pigface, Wendy. It's a bit rude. But I will say to you that the insects that attack pigface generally are scale. And that is one of those things that it's a bit difficult to control. Um, very few pests will chew on them except for occasionally because they're so succulent and full of moisture you'll find that they do have um, problems sometimes with either slaters or alternatively um, snails and slugs can get into them. But the, the most common thing is scale and the solution for scale is to be using a, well, a horticultural oil. So 
eco oil or white oil or one of those, the only thing is do not go applying it on a hot day. All right, so you're probably going to need to, to do something like two or three applications over the pig face, but you need to find a cool spell. And I think it's Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I'm going to ask David Van Berkel in a minute because we're catching up with him. And I know that David um, knows what's going on with the weather and the extreme conditions, but I'm pretty sure it's those days. And those are the days when you're under 28 degrees when you apply those horticultural oils. Don't put them on days that are hotter than that because it can cause quite a few problems and it's a good way to get control of scale. All right, Carol is in Ipswich. We're going up to Queensland, which is fantastic. How often do you deep water potted rose bushes? Well, look, it really gets down to the extremes and the conditions. Remember, if they're in a pot, there's only so much moisture that can be held within that soil mass. And the natural uh, process is the plant's taking moisture up and moisture's moving from the top to the bottom. Typically in summer, I would be hand watering on a daily base. Uh, I, I think that that's probably the, the best advice I can give you. It's a good soak and that's all it needs and it just keeps those moisture levels nice and even. And we'll do one more question before we go to David because Johnny has not told us where he's from, but he said, why is my nectarine losing leaves? The leaves are a bit rusty looking around the edges. Now, this is where one, if you let me know where you are and two, if you could do us a favour and send us a picture, it will help. Um, nectarines can get a rust. It is a bit unusual in dry conditions. But if you are in New South Wales at the moment where humidity has been really high, um, it could be quite active actually on nectarines. So that's why geographic, um, you know, letting us know where you're based is really important. I, I would say to you, the solution generally, if it's rust, is it's a fungicide and you need to head into your local garden centre. And I'd pop them into a plastic Ziploc bag, uh, so a few leaves in there and take it in and show your local garden centre. I, I do think that there is probably more of a likelihood that you are probably from somewhere over here in the West or South Australia or even Victoria where it's been hot and dry and um, it's stress because basically as the soil moisture levels dry out, plants have this wonderful ability when they realise they can't get the moisture they need to start dropping leaves, shedding their leaves, and it does make a big difference to the overall look of the plant. So um, maybe, Johnny, if you can send us a few of the answers to my questions, I might be able to hone my answer, but I suspect that this is just heat stress that's causing a nectarine to lose its leaves. All right, every week... Ideally, we get to catch up with my mate, David Van Berkel. Garden Express is Australia's online garden centre. This is your chance to shop from the comfort of your, your home office or chair with a cup of coffee next to you and have a look through. And David, we are seeing some pretty amazing weather conditions all over the country, quite diverse, but, but particularly um, the southern states have really had some hot weather. Yeah, for sure. Perfect time to be sitting at your computer and uh, and placing your orders online and uh, avoiding the heat. It's it's everywhere. Tassie even, you know, they don't get as yeah. hot as we do, but for them it's still a heat wave as well. So um, there yeah. are some changes you'll notice in your garden with extreme temperatures like this. Well, you know, interestingly enough, you know, there's some plants, it's those plants that we grow that are on the fringe of of the, the perfect environment that really suffer when we go on the extremes of climatic variations, whether it be extremely cold or, or extremely hot and dry. Over winter in Perth, we had a record cool, wet winter. It was really quite cold for a long period of time, but 
man, has that changed? And now we're dealing with the opposite extreme of those challenges that gardeners have. And that is that any of the plants that sit on the fringe are really showing signs of suffering. So I'm seeing that in some of the plants in my garden. Um, I'll persevere with it. I'm putting wetting agents down. I'm doing those things. But there are some plants that are just adapted to these hot, dry conditions super well, aren't they? Yeah, well, I think you're, you're uh, coming into the, the offer that we've got for the viewers this week. Uh, but the succulents, for sure, you know, they're just made for these uh, hot, mm. uh, dry winds, all of those things, you know, your ground drying out. Um, and they seem to suit themselves. And uh, as you say, um, plants behave differently in different weather and succulents tend to pop up and create more babies in these harsher conditions when there's a little less water. It's like their survival mode is to create a family to, uh, yep. to you know, help mulch around the place a little bit. So they develop really strongly in the, in the warmer climates. So tell us about the, the varieties that you've chosen because it, it is a great time of the year to be getting succulents into the ground, but some, you know, there's such a dramatic diversity in the shape and colour and some of those little world varieties, those little compact ones, are just amazing. Yeah, look, they're one of my favourites, you know, particularly because you can uh, bowl them up into, you know, like maybe a 30 to 40 centimetre bowl and just, just watch them multiply and they'll end up hanging over the edge of the bowl and just give you this beautiful, beautiful textured uh, layer there without the height. Um, but the bicolours, Trev, you know, it used to just be green on purple or purple on green. Um, yeah. We've got really nice tones of burgundy. We've got some golds or some really light greens with reds. Um, it's just some incredible work that's been done to, to develop the range of, uh, of the succulents, particularly the semi-vibe. These sempervivans, aren't they? They're, they're the ones that are absolutely beautiful. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And there's a couple that have the little sort of spidery hairs across the top. I don't think we've got any in this collection, but they're really my favourite. looks like there's been a, you know, a web created over the top of them all. Wow, that's amazing. So there's two collections that we're talking about here today. Tell us a little bit about them. Okay, so, uh, so the two collections, we've got them for $20 saving, a bit over 20%. And yep. uh, each of them has four different plants in it. And we've tried to mix the colours up so that whether you get one or both collections, you've got this nice diversity of, of colour. Um, they're, they're grown especially sort of like tissue culture. You know, they're taking the cuttings and, and maturing the cuttings up into nice little plugs ready to fire away. So a beautiful little root system as opposed mm -hmm. to, you know, when you pluck them from the garden, they've got a little bit of a, a, little bit of a root stem. Um, and they yep. take a little longer to, uh, to establish. So beautiful, perfect-looking little plants uh, ready to, uh, to pot on, place in the garden, give a sprinkle of water, and away they'll go. Actually, they're fantastic in pots. And because you've got quite diverse shapes and colours here, particularly colours, um, you're really in a position where we can see the offer is up on screen right at the moment, but you can see... That they're really a very special, um, architecturally sort of beautiful looking plant. So either singly in a pot or multi-planted in a little mini succulent planter, they look incredible. Yeah, they do, don't they? Actually, I hadn't thought of uh, of mixing the colours up in a, in a pot. Um, but you go for a pot that's a little bit bigger because they do multiply. Like it takes a couple of months for them to establish, but then all of a sudden there's eight babies. And then, you know, by the next summer... You've got 15 to 25, um, you know, maturing little plants. They tend to keep a nice size, you know, so um, probably double the size of a 50-cent piece, but they don't mm. get these huge things like maybe flapjacks and things. 
So yeah. it is about you know creating that that volume within within the pot. But um, but the got apple teeny now, pineapple paradise, plum parfait, uh, cranberry cocktail. That's just one delicious selection, so to speak. Um, yeah, yeah. And so when people get these, mate, you deliver them out. They come there in, in little starter plants, basically in in trays in plastic. Um, what do we call in, those? In bubble? Trays, yeah, I think we're sort yeah. of, we're just wrapping the little root zone because it is a, a, a quite a small little root zone on these plants. Yeah. Um, as I said, they're, they're packed ready to uh, to explode into uh, into their performance. Um, blistered up, so there's no damage going to occur in the transit. So beautiful yeah. pocket rockets, ready to um, ready to have some fun with. And I'd say just get into other collections, oh. Trev, just purely so that you can mix up, you know, that, those pot concepts and uh, and maybe put a bit of burgundy with a bit of pineapple and um, and really get a nice sort of melded assortment going on. We we have a regular contribution from the guys that love the garden. They are uh, that's uh, the, the guys behind Scotts and Osmocote. They've got all those great brands. One of the people that regularly appears is Karen Goldie, and Karen does these great projects. So she she got created these little wire um, cones, stuffed them with a bit of potting mix and cocoa peat combined, and then um, then just uh, on the outside a little bit of sphagnum moss. And then she's planting into the, the gaps these plants all the way around the outside and she ends up with these amazing little succulent Christmas trees. But I've seen the same thing done with, with um, uh, what do you call them, wreaths. So yes. where they're a living wreath, they look amazing as well. And the other thing that with this particular um, type of succulent, um, I've, I've got a few sort of logs. You know, they're basically branches. They've got hollowed out little spots in the top and you just pop them into those and let them grow through that and they look incredible. There's so many yeah. things you can do. They're almost like an air plant, aren't they? They take the mm. very smallest amount of roots to be able to uh, to grow so they don't need a lot of mix. They don't need a deep mix. So uh, therefore even a saucer, you know, of a, of, a, of a nice bowl can be enough for a succulent to grow in. So um, we've got a couple of old push bikes leaning up against the uh, the veggie patch. So in the basket uh-huh. in the front of the bikes are, uh, are sempervivums. They're just delicious. Ah, awesome. Well, listen, the deal is, let's let's get this right. So it's a pack of four. You've got two collections. So it makes sense, I would think, to get one and two, and then you've got eight completely different plants. But two collections, pack of four, um, for twenty bucks, that's a saving of what twenty five percent off. Yeah, just rent. a bit under twenty five percent, Trev. So uh, it was twenty six dollars is the original price. Uh, new to the market, some of these a new season stock, of course, and um, and beautiful as I said, pocket rocket plants ready to kick on and do an amazing job. Well, mate, speaking of doing an amazing job, it's what you and Rowan and all the team out there do every week. So if people want to place an order, all they have to do. Go online, gardenexpress.com.au. Yep, the collections will be on the, uh, there'll be a banner of the collections on the home screen, I think, uh, yep. as well as uh, sliding across will be the new catalogue for the year, Trevor. Wow, great. We haven't printed one of these, I don't think, in uh, in the two years of COVID. I think uh, we had one on the go just as COVID hit in, yep. uh, in 2020, was it already? And yeah. uh, so the first full catalogue that's being mailed out again. So all the spring bulb favourites also online now as well as these. Fantastic. Well, I'll be looking out for that in the uh, in the mail very soon. My wife gets very excited by the IKEA catalogue and I often will drop that off into the bin on my way back in as I'm reading the uh, Garden Express catalogue. So um, th- 
Things to look forward to. Obviously, the easiest thing to do is to order online. Armchair shopping. It's never been easier to get all the plants and production you need by visiting gardenexpress.com.au. David Van Burkle, thank you very much. It's great to see you again today, mate. You too, Trev. And in answer to your question, we've got three or four really cool days coming up. Wednesday is the probably best day to uh, to attack the scale. The plants will have cooled down as well. Uh, yep. Thursday, expecting maybe a few showers. So um, good wow. time for you, Melbourne. Wow. Yeah, that's... Um, we dream of that at the moment over here. It's certainly been very, very hot in the West. But anyway, it's uh, it's the challenges of gardening and uh, that's why we're here, helping people uh, overcome their challenges. Mate, have a great day. Thanks for joining us. Trevor, Trevor, and everyone else, have a great day. All right, mate. Thanks. Garden Express are Australia's leading mail-order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on the Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. What a great bloke David Van Berkel is. He um, does such great work and the ability to be able to get your plants delivered to your doorstep, um, particularly during these COVID times, has just been a godsend. It really has. Garden Express do a great job, and uh, and there's a you know this multi generation you know family business that's evolved and supporting people with um, with their home gardens. I think it's great. Now remember, as we as we go into answering your questions, don't forget to hit that like button. Really important. All right, King, who's another regular, another local King. You've sent us through a photograph. Thank you very much. This really does help. And I'll explain why it's so important. So King sent, excuse me, sent me some photos of some chilli plants. And the chilli plant, you can see the leaves are twisted. Now, interestingly enough, it's, it's not a common thing to see, but these chilli plants are being attacked by a thrip. It's called the chilli thrip, believe it or not. Um, and, and it's not the reason why it got its name. But what it's doing is it's damaging the, the little leaves, the the babies as they emerge and that's quite problematic because it causes them to gnarl and twist as they get more mature because the, the tissue's been damaged when they were young. Um, you do need to treat it. Now there's one or two options. You can get yourself some predatory mites which uh, that's a case of going online, ordering them. It is very hard to get them this time of the year um, and there's two reasons for that. One is uh, it's difficult for I think the guys who are breed them to get really good numbers or to be able to safely transport them uh, is the second issue. So being able to get them delivered to you in the mail can be quite hard. There are some chemical treatments. The best thing to do is, of course, to go and talk to your local garden centre, King, about the right treatment for your garden situation. I have used Bathroid in my garden situation very successfully, but I've also heard people having great um, great results from that chemical that which is kind of a natural biological chemical called success. So that might be something else you can try. Um, I'm not sure whether they're registered for that purpose, but certainly that's what people are telling us they're using and getting good results with. All right, now we've had a photograph. Let's go back and we'll do another video Another video uh, question that's been sent through. This is Di from Yanship in WA. Love your show. I'm just wanting to pick up with please, dear friends so it's called best friend and it's hope I can get some input um, firstly the rose buds are looking very very wilted I know we've had some heat but it's really not looking well the leaves are looking all very droopy as well I have sprayed for black spot 
um, and also I've got this problem here. I'm not sure if that's any relevance either. Um, it is showing on a couple of the branches. So overall, it's yeah. I'm just not sure what else I can do. Mm, okay, Di, that's that's a pretty interesting problem. And obviously, you know, plants can be very sentimental to us. If you've got that rose because it was a friend that passed away, you want it to to get through summer looking really well. One thing I can tell you is it's a very vigorous rose variety and one of the problems with growing them in pots is that they do have a root system that will really fill that pot quite quickly. Um, the real problem here is we've got extreme dry, hot conditions. So we're seeing moisture being um, evaporated and trans, uh, transpired by the plant into the atmosphere dramatically. Um, We've got very low rainfall, in fact, no rainfall for the last couple of months. And you've probably got a, a root system that's massed in around the outside edges of that pot. The trick and the solution here is going to be repotting. Now, it's, it's possibly a little bit risky when we've got sort of high 30s and 40s. I would suggest that in the short term, the most important thing you can do is go and get some, some liquid wetting agent. So mix it up in a watering can and you wanna pour nine liters, it sounds like a radical thing to do, of, of activated wetting agent mixed up in a watering can. Now, just to clarify what I mean by that is if you get a liquid wetting agent and you, you fill the watering can up with water, then put the liquid wetting agent in, if you don't mix that through, um, you'll only have a small glug of it sitting in the bottom probably that'll actually do any good. What you need to do ideally is to put the wetting agent into the bottom of the watering can, then fill the watering can. This activates it. You'll see it. It'll be bubbling and frothing and overflowing. Don't worry about that. That's okay. That's good. That's exactly what you want. Mix it all up and then here's the trick because that plant is stressed and one way to, to solve all of your stress problems is to apply a seaweed extract. In this case, I'm going to recommend you use sea salt, mix it up in the watering can with the wetting agent, and you can get a sea salt wetting agent combination, but I think you need to do this in a watering can manually. It means you've got one of each, mix them in, then soak the pot. Soak it to the point where you should see that the air bubbles are bubbling up out of that pot because I'll guarantee you it is dry in the middle and you need to get the moisture back in urgently. The seaweed extract will help the plant recover from the stress, and of course the, the wetting agent will make sure that moisture is moving um, consistently through the soil. That's vitally important. That's your short-term solution. I would suggest that probably in March, take a look at putting that plant into a larger size pot. I couldn't quite work out the pot size from what we saw there, but it really needs to go up probably, I don't know, give you another 20% of soil mass and make sure that you use a really good potting mix. And I promise you, Di, if you do those things, that very special rose will come back and will look a lot better. But, you know, roses do best, particularly those larger forms, do best when they're growing in the ground. It is a bit more of a challenge in Yanship. The pH up there is... Uh, it's very alkaline and you can have some challenges, but um, it's well worthwhile. So great question. Great that you sent it in as a video. Remember, every week we're going to select two videos to be played on the Garden Gurus Live and I promise you I'll answer them here for you. And we'd love to see what your garden looks like. It's a great way just to show off your garden a little bit and then point out a particular problem or something that you're looking for a little bit of help with and, and I can help out. So um, I love having a look in your backyard too. 
Now, the videos will only be selected if they follow the criteria that is. You have to state your name, location, and question. And the videos have got to be submitted through the Facebook page by Wednesday, the week before we go live. So ideally, by this Wednesday, make sure you have your videos in. Please send them through. It's a, it's a fabulous way for us to answer your garden questions. And, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that uh, just at the moment... Um, there's a lot of questions out there because I'm watching them flow through here and it's just crazy. There are so many questions coming through, so I better get on with it. Okay, let's go to South Australia. Joe, hello, Joe. Um, I'm desperate to find out why my tomato branches are dying and tomatoes are healthy, but there's not many of them. Could I possibly be overwatering? It's in the ground and water is daily due. Um, oh, there's cat. That's um, one of our editors. There you go. Um, just gone and got a morning coffee. And uh, this, just to put some context into where we are, we're actually in the front entrance of our production facility um, here in Subiaco in Perth, Western Australia. So um, every once in a while you might see somebody pass through. Now back to the question, the reason why the tomato branches are dying, it could be one of two things. So tomatoes get fusarium wilt, which is like a wilting kind of effect where they die back and they literally die from the top. But I've got, I've got tomatoes at home in a number of locations and in pots. They all have this same dying back problem at the moment. Now, I think that they've had a little bit of a thrip um, or, or mite attack, um, but I don't think that's actually what's caused it. What we've seen here, and I know South Australia can get very, very hot as well, is we've just seen enormous stress. And tomatoes really normally would grow really well um, you know, if, if they're in hot conditions. But when it's extreme heat, well, that can be quite problematic. It really can be challenging. So I tend to think that's what it is. And what I'm doing is I'm going to leave those deadish branches on my plants for the next month. I'm going to keep the water up to them to make sure that they're, they're kept moist and, and get some, um, some sea salt into the soil and around them to help reduce the stress. But... Um, the thing, the thing with this is that, and you have to be very careful, is that um, once that dieback starts to occur, at some point you're going to have to prune them. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to wait to the end of February. It is the hottest month and I'm expecting the way we're going that we may end up with 20 days over 40 in the West, which will break all records. I mean, the records have already been broken, but if we can get through the February period and then I give them a prune back and give them a feed we will see some great results. Um, you'll see the plant regrow, put some new growth out, put some new flowers out and produce some more fruit. So, sorry, it was a bit of an extended answer there, Joe, but hopefully it answers your question. I'm pretty sure you've got the same problem I've got. And um, if it is that fusarium wilt, the plant's going to die and it's going to have to come out anyway. So, And you can't plant in that same spot. So I think it's heat. Let's go on that theory and see how we go. Sending a photograph really does help. Now, Daniel's come to us via YouTube. Hello, Daniel. G'day, Trevor. Do chilli plants need to be planted in the ground or in pots? I've got them in both, um, and they do very, very well both ways. Where I live, it gets pretty cool during the winter, and chilies don't like it, so they'll deteriorate. But if they're in pots, I've got a glass house, and I can put them in there, and that'll temper them through the winter period and allow me to get two years of growth out of a chilli plant. So... It really depends on where you are, mate. Um, my my suggestion is that um, do a bit of both. They look great in they look great in pots, 
and uh, you can have them next to the front door and it doesn't matter, they look highly ornamental. And, uh, and if you really do love your chilies and you're producing a lot of them, um, then, yeah, have them in the, in the veggie garden and, and companion plant them alongside things that, you know, are really susceptible to other pests because a lot of pests don't like chili. So um, you, can, uh, you can do that as well. Hopefully that helps. Daniel, coming to us from YouTube, uh, we're not quite sure where you're from, so please remember, folks, do tell us where you are from. It does help. Like Leah, I'm not sure where you're from, Leah, but you'd love to know how much to cut back Asiatic and Oriental lilies after they've flowered for better flowers next season. That's a really good question. In fact, all you should really do, ideally, Leah, is as soon as the flower's finished, just deadhead them, not very far at all. All you want to do is take away the seed heads. Now, the reason you want to do that is because if you leave the seed heads there, a lot of the bulb energy will go up into those seed heads to develop seeds, which you could plant and, and you could eventually grow and you'll end up with more lilies. But the reality is that if you cut that seed head off, all the energy that's produced by the leaves actually goes down into the bulb. So you end up with a bigger bulb, so you end up with a lot better flowering next year. And I think that's what you wanted to know. So hopefully that helps, Leah. Marina is in Sydney. Hello, Marina. I was very excited about my gorgeous-looking tomatoes, but when I opened them, they're infested with little white worms. Is this from Fruit Fly? Um, is there anything you can do at this point? There are still many flowering, still many flowers appearing. Are there any organics options? Well, look, the solution uh, I'm going to suggest to you is this product called Success. It is very good at controlling those kinds of problems. Um, it could be Fruit Fly. It could be some other grubs as well. As tomatoes do get a few different grubs but uh, the general solution is to stop the grubs from getting in organically you can try and repel them by using white pepper chili garlic a combination of those things um, as a spray it does help to some extent but probably not from fruit fly and if it is fruit fly um, you can put traps in you can put sticky baits in generally you need to do all three so marina the bad news is the ones that are infested, you can't do anything about them. The good news is that um, everything else that's growing, and, and particularly if they're small and green, they can still be saved and you can still be enjoying the, the spoils of your hard work. So what I would suggest you do is get your hands on some success. That should help. Um, Amanda is in Adelaide. Hello, Amanda. I've got a red delicious and Granny Smith. They're both apple trees, for those of you who don't know. Last year, both trees were loaded. This year, there are only a few on the Red Delicious and no Granny Smith. Should have removed half the fruit last year when they were small. Well, so thinning fruit off a tree only means that that year, the, the rest of the fruit will end up being bigger, generally sort of twice the size because all the goodness is going into the growth of those fruit. This policy works really well with stone fruit and pommy fruit. It doesn't work super well with citrus. So the, my theory is that you would thin just to get some bigger fruit if that's what you want. With regards to not fruiting this year, that's more likely either one of two things. One is it's either an environmental thing. Uh, you didn't have pollinators around or you didn't have them flowering at the same time, so you weren't getting any cross-pollination because apples do require cross-pollinators. Um, so it could be a pollination issue. One of the things that fruit trees do, though, is when they produce big crops one year, they'll often take a year off. The next year they'll put all their energy more into growth and less into fruit. 
Uh, it's particularly evident with things like avocados and mangoes. They can be real biennial croppers. You know, one year, great crop. Next year, very few. That's why you might have two or three trees because you tend to find they do alternate and it does always deliver you, you know, good fruit. Um, but I think with your Red Delicious and your Granny Smith, it's more likely probably an environmental issue uh, in South Australia that's occurred with regards to weather conditions and the pollinator activity in and around it. I do think that next year you will find, however, that you'll get a great crop. Um, probably the big thing to do right now, Amanda, is to give them a feed. It'll do them the world of good. All right, so we've been outdoors. We've been talking a lot about outdoors. We talked a little bit about succulents. But I want to show you this plant. Now, I may have featured this before on the Garden Gurus. You may have seen it. This is what's known as a ZZ plant, okay, Zamiaculus. It's a really incredibly tough, hardy plant. This particular one, Raven, is a selection, I believe, that's come out of Europe, um, grown over here in Western Australia by Banara Nursery and shipped all over the country to leading retailers. This is really quite a different plant. There's two reasons why you might want this one. The first one is when it puts out new growth, the new growth is lovely and green, like those lovely green shoots you can see there. But as the growth matures, it turns black. And it's not, a, it's not an unhealthy black. It's a beautiful, glossy black. It's a really striking colour. And black is a bit of a trendy colour when it comes to foliage plants. The other thing that is really good about this plant, and we've been talking about hot, dry conditions continuously this morning, well, in an indoor situation, one of the big mistakes most people make is they forget to water. And you only need to forget to water once, and generally your plant sets back. This is one plant that's far better for you to not water too much. In fact, probably a cup once a week of water is all this is going to need in that great big pot. You can see it just there, right? And you end up with this amazing glossy foliage. Now, the last reason that you would want to have your hands on this particular plant is that it is an amazing plant with regards to taking pollutants out of the atmosphere. So indoors, we know that we have a lot of different pollutants that come off the various um, fabrics and surfaces and also chemicals that we use, whether they be insecticides or whether they be things like, you know, your spray and wipe and some of those things. They all have a smell. That smell in the atmosphere is, is gases and some of those gases are not good for us. These plants suck those in and put out fresh oxygen into the atmosphere. That's why indoor plants are so important. And that's why this plant is so good. If you're not good at growing indoor plants, this one is indestructible. You'll find it almost impossible to kill. It requires very little water. If you do neglect it for a week or two, doesn't matter. It's not gonna, it's not gonna go backwards. It's just gonna keep growing. So there you go. This is the ZZ plant, and this particular variety is called Raven and you should find it in good garden centres all over Australia at the moment. Well worthwhile keeping your eye out for. All right, that was my plan of the week. What should we do? I think um, maybe we'll just have a quick chat about product because um, I think, and I'm sure we've got some photographs up, going to go up of this particular product. Um, so if you've been growing edible plants at home, any kind of edible plant, right now, is the perfect time to be applying this particular fertilizer. You cannot go wrong. Now, it's a controlled release fertilizer. It's called Osmocote. It comes from those people at Love the Garden at Scott's. And this is a very interesting um, prill. So, this 
Little Prill has a um, soya coating over the top that expands and contracts in in hot weather. It's it's called osmosis. And as the moisture and the heat work together, you'll find that this in warmer conditions releases more nutrients and it's a really good balance of nutrients. This is a this, they come in some specialized blends. So some for flowering, some for vegetables, some for natives, and also just an all-purpose for everything in the garden. My suggestion is you get your hands on the all-purpose now because everything could do with a feed. You had lots of good flowering growth in the springtime. All of those plants are going to need a feed now. If you've got edibles, all of those plants are going to need a feed now. And there's even an indoor version for indoor plants. And again, giving them a feed now is going to be really good. This keeps leaves greener for longer, keeps plants growing strongly, and it enhances water absorption. So it's a really efficient way for plants to feed. And of course, it's safe for use on Australian native plants. Really important. This show is brought to you by the Garden Gurus and Evergreen Garden Care. Evergreen Garden Care and their market-leading brands are some of the most trusted consumer brands within the garden care market. They produce high-quality garden care products designed to help people create their own green oasis. Whether it's a garden, a balcony or potted indoor plants, they want to inspire anyone, anywhere to be able to easily create and maintain their own garden. To find out more about Evergreen Garden Care, head to www.lovethegarden.com. All right, hopefully you are getting out and getting into the garden and fertilising because it is really important this time of the year to keep those nutrients up. Let's uh, keep going. That's Kale going through. Kale's the producer of uh, Garden Gurus, and there he is. And um, he's going into the edit suite to do some work in there as well. So you can see the regular flow of people through here. That's all right. We're busy. It's all happening. But we chose this spot um, in our downstairs building because we've got this beautiful living wall behind us and uh, there's a bit of living inspiration. Talk about air conditioners. That's a great one right there. Okay. Remember, if you like what we're doing, please hit the like button. It shares it with your friends and it creates more of a community conversation. Um, when you do send us a question, please tell us where you're from. It does make the world a difference this time of the year. Um, and if you've got a question that's about something that's difficult to describe, send us a photograph. That's a good way to go. All right. I think we are going to go to Kalina. But again, we don't know where you are, Kalina. Um, can you put my mind at rest? I'm on an acre and a half place with small acreage around me. I noticed this morning some maintenance being done around the dam next door. They they were spraying liberally with a hose from a small truck. When I asked them what it was, they said Roundup. Now I'm worried about the drift taking out my border trees. Who would be responsible if the worst was to happen? I would be having a talk to your neighbor, I would suggest. Um, you know, responsible spraying is uh, is okay. And sometimes, particularly if you've got some of those those terrible weeds like blackberry or arum lily that are, are really almost impossible to kill without something like Roundup or glyphosate, there is a special Roundup available that's designed for use around waterways because the other issue with these is the surfactant that's used in them. So this is the, the thing that helps spread across the surface of the foliage. Um, it's one of the mixed, one of the item, one of the chemicals that are mixed in with the Roundup. Very important because it, it gets it to bind to the plant and then it allows it to do its job. 
but what you don't want is you don't want that getting into the waterways because it'll kill tadpoles and frogs. They have no tolerance to it at all. But there is a special Roundup, if they're using the right one, um, that actually uh, has a special surfactant that doesn't work in the same way and it's a lot safer to use around waterways. Um, your concern is, of course, uh, if, if it gets into the, um, into the waterway, if it gets to your tree's roots, um, that's probably highly unlikely. If they are spraying and there's mist drifting through the air, then that's a big problem because Roundup's absorbed through the foliage into the green bits on your plant. You don't want that. Um, there's, of course, many people at the moment who are really up in arms about Roundup and they say, well, look, you know, it's, it's you know, a carcinogen that does this, it does that. Um, there is no other chemical that quite does the same job as Roundup. So sometimes it's a necessary evil, but it's not something I think that you necessarily need to be using randomly all the time. Use it specifically, be responsible with how you use it. Make sure that it's not drifting, um, that there's no mist and that you don't spray on a windy day and ideally don't spray you know, onto water. That's really quite problematic. But um, my suggestion would be I would go and have a chat to the neighbour and just say, look, I'm a little worried about this. Um, you know, are you taking this into account? I am going to be watching my trees. Um, you know, let's let's work together on this. That's what we should all do. We need to be kinder to each other, I think, in this world. Um, Antoinette is in Perth. Hello, Antoinette. Um, I have a guava tree, which is six years old. It's fully grown every summer. It gets hundreds of flowers, but never a fruit. And you're so disappointed. Now, the garden's looking quite healthy. What can I do, please? Well, interesting thing about guavas is that they should be producing lots of fruit. I'm assuming that this is either the Indian or Hawaiian, those larger guavas, because the little cherry guavas, um, my home is just smothered in fruit, that'll be coming online in about, oh, probably four to five weeks' time. Um, the guavas, um, they can take a while to get going. In fact, one of the biggest mistakes you can make is feeding them quite regularly and giving them lots and lots of water. It's actually really good for them to have a little bit of heat stress. This is one plant that, that comes from a hot environment um, you don't want it to be going backwards, but you don't want it to be really lush and producing huge amounts of foliage. It can become really problematic. So that's probably what's going on here. Back off the fertiliser, back off the water. Let's see what it does, Antoinette. I think you'll find it'll trigger some flowering, some fruit, and you should be happy. Eve is in Jandicott. It's another Perth suburb. Um, so we've had a couple in Perth. We've got a lot coming through from Sydney and Melbourne by the looks, and also Queensland, which is great. Um, Eve, your thing that you're concerned, concerned about is your rhubarb. It's flowering. So is mine at home right at the moment. Will it set viable seed? And is this a response to the heat? No, it's a natural thing for rhubarb to be flowering this time of the year. Mine's doing the same thing. I will be collecting the seed and planting some of that seed out. I love rhubarb. Not so much to use. Um, I don't use it that much in the kitchen, but I, I do love its look. It looks great. And collecting that seed popping it into a paper bag in a nice dry position, ideally a cool spot, for about a month before you sow the seed, which should be done sort of March, let's say that roughly, um, is the best way to go. You should do really well after that. Okay, now, Matthew is in Melbourne. How to pollinate kangaroo paws that go to seed in Melbourne? Well, it's a really good question. In fact, I'm going to, I'm going to raise this with Robin, our producer, today because it is actually... Um, a really good story and it's a, an amazing new um, kangaroo paw that's been bred by um, Kings Park Botanical Gardens 
and it is blue. It's a blue flowering kangaroo paw, which will be released uh, this coming year, I believe. So we might have a chat to Sue McDougall or maybe um, to one of the team out there, um, uh, Digby or, or one of his associates, about how they go to get the seed. But seed is, is something you can collect. You do need to grow it very carefully and ideally in controlled conditions if you want to get really good um, good pollination, so a good um, uh Germination. I knew there was a nation in there somewhere. Sorry. Uh, so hopefully that helps a little bit, Matthew. It's not. It's not the 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 be all and end all, but we'll we'll put that down as a goal for next um, next week if we can, or maybe the week after. See if we can have a chat to one of the guys at Kings Park about how they go about pollinating kangaroo paws. Zefa is in Sydney. You're coming to us via YouTube. Thank you. Why are my strawberries very small? They are planted in pots. Well, if they're so that you can get small size strawberry um, plants that produce small fruit. If it's a commercial fruit variety and they're, they're coming in small, it suggests that you're not giving them enough nutrient and enough water. That generally, the lack of water will reduce the size of the fruit itself. But if they're, it's highly likely there are a lot of almost ornamental strawberries that are out there that are really quite, um, yeah, really quite sort of small and compact. Alison is in Melbourne. Do different types of lawn require more water than others? My lawn falls off in greenness between mowing. Wonder if I need to water more. Um, actually, watering more is probably causing the problem. Mowing more is probably more important for you. I would recommend that you mow at least once a week. And yes, different different lawns perform differently, but uh, in this particular instance, mowing once a week, leave it a little bit longer this time of the year, just so that you don't get any dry patches or scalding. But um, mowing regularly, Keep your water ideally twice to three times a week with one deep 10, 15 mil soaking of water each time. That should do the job. Carolyn, we're not sure where you're from, Carolyn, but you've asked this question. I am wondering, have you heard of flung dung? And if it's dog friendly. Carolyn, sorry, I haven't heard of flung dung, so I've got no idea whether it's dog friendly. Thanks so much. We'll do some research, see if we can find out a little bit more for you. Glenn's on the Gold Coast. Hi, Trevor. Can you please advise what is eating our hibiscus and how to treat it? I wanted to show a photo, but I don't know how to put it uh, with the comments. Okay. Leaf is um, curled almost into a tube, and then it gets eaten both ends. It's definitely a caterpillar that's doing that. Um, you're in the Gold Coast, and it's probably, you're probably likely to have one of those. There is a hibiscus um, moth that tends to do exactly that and roll sort of smaller leaves, but it does depend on the variety. So I'd love to have a look at that photograph. Um, well worthwhile you sending it through to us via messages and we'll have a look at that and come back to you. Katie, uh, we're not sure where you're from, Katie. Good morning. I have transplanted a fruiting fig tree. How do I not kill it, please? Well, if you've done the transplanting, the most important thing you can do right now is give it a really good soaking around the base with a uh, with a wetting agent and um, that's pretty important and the second thing that's pretty important is uh, is to make sure that you keep the moisture up to it so that um, so that it doesn't get any stress heat stress just letting you guys know I'm at four percent battery power um, we're starting to get a little little bit um, a little bit uh, edgy just towards the end of the um, of the show thanks Jimmy um, all right, we've still got a few questions. There's been a lot come through today. Uh, 
So hopefully that helps you, Katie. Joe is in Serpentine. Now that's in Western Australia. I have a problem with gnats in my indoor pot plants. Do I need to repot? Please help. Yes, Joe, you do. The reason they're in there is there's organic material in there, and that organic material is um, is being used by the gnats, the fungus gnats, to they're, they're literally eating that and converting it, thankfully, into some some fertiliser for your plants, albeit very small amounts. But they become really annoying because they'll end up in your coffee and your tea and your glass of water and your glass of wine and you don't want that. They use a specialised potting mix. The guys from Scott's, it's an Osmocote potting mix. That's the same people who love the garden that support us with everything that we do. They produce a very special, it's a grey pack um, of Osmocote potting mix and it is fantastic for repotting. It uses cocoa peat as the base and fungus gnats can't consume cocoa peat. It's an inert organic, so it won't be consumed. Therefore, you won't have fungus gnats indoors. Simple solution, use the right potting mix, specialised potting mix, and it'll do the job for you. Hopefully that helps uh, you, Joe, in Serpentine. Debbie, we're not sure where you're from. What's the best way to stop cats sleeping in my succulents? Um, probably change from succulents to cacti and they won't get in there, that's for sure. But seriously speaking, Debbie, I would suggest that you look at dusting them with a little bit of white pepper, okay? And, and you use white pepper and they won't go in there. They, they just sniff and they sneeze. It irritates them, so they'll stay away from it. Real easy solution. Colette is in Perth. Do camellias need direct sun? I have them under the patio, but they appear to be dying. It will be extreme heat that's causing some stress on your camellias at the moment, Colette. They should be in ideally getting morning sun is the perfect environment in Perth, Western Australia. But look, I've got camellias out in full sun and they, they do extremely well. They just need a little bit of time to settle in and, and, and sort of establish properly. But once they're established, they can handle, you know, completely exposed outdoor conditions without any problems. My suggestion for you, wetting agent, seaweed extract, mix it all up in a watering can, soak literally nine litres per camellia. I don't know how many you've got, but a big full watering can for each one. You'll make sure you get your moisture levels right, and that should help them get through this, this really hot, difficult time that we're all experiencing at the moment. Whew. Leanne is in Brisbane. I was gifted a bonsai for Christmas. Its leaves are going lighter and lighter. I'm spraying water every day. Please help. I would love you to send me through a picture of the type of bonsai. I think what you might have going on here is actually a red spider mite attack on it, but it depends on the type of bonsai. Um, if it's any of the elms or any of those kinds of plants, they do get it and they do get it this time of the year and that causes this kind of lighter silvering of the foliage. So I think that that's probably what you've got, Leanne. Um, if you do have that, I, you're going to need to spray them and um, you know pop into your local garden centre. Um, something like, well, look, talk to your local garden centre about what they recommend, but I suspect that that's what the problem is. However, send us a photo. Great way for us to, to confirm it 100%. Tyson's back. Tyson's from Victoria. Can I grow radish seeds in my garden bed? Can you please give me some tips and advice? Absolutely, Tyson, you definitely can. Uh, now's a great time to do it, as long as you can keep the moisture up to them. So um, they grow very, very fast this time of the year. So literally little rows, spread your seed out across the top, a little bit of sand over the top, and keep your moisture up to them. That's all you have to do. It's that easy. Katrina is in southeast Queensland. Um, I have some new peony roses in pots. They were really healthy, and now the leaves are dying. So are mine at the moment, Katrina. I'm not sure whether... Um, 
whether you are experiencing the same thing I am, but mine is being caused by extreme heat. They just don't like it when it's too hot. So if you can bring them into a shaded position just for the next month or two of this really hot weather that we all ex experience, that will help enormously. Um, I think we're just about done. Um, we've gone through a lot of questions. Lorraine, Molly Mook, south coast of New South Wales. How do I get rid of stink bugs on citrus? Well, they are quite a problem this time of the year. Generally, the, it's the crusader bug. Um, and the simple solution is there are a couple of different sort of general um, sprays that you can use that treat that. Um, and I would suggest you pop into your local garden centre and grab them. Uh, generally, things like... Um, they, they do use things like um, eco oil or the horticultural oils, white oil and so on. There is a risk in really hot weather that you're going to get some burning on your citrus if you use those. So it's up to you. Um, if you've got a few cool days and you do have some coming up, maybe it is a good time to get the white oil out and give your citrus a good spray and those stink bugs or crusader bugs or orange shield bugs, whichever one it is, they'll all neck off and it's kind of a nice natural way to do it. There's no real chemical being used. Wow, how'd we go? Did okay today? There's a lot of questions going through. Thanks so much for your contributions. Um, I'm really looking forward to joining you again next week. We've run out of time. Um, just remember, you know, share this with your friends. Hit the like button. It really does help us build a bigger community and it's all about sharing the ideas and advice as we go along. If I didn't get to your questions today and we've had so many coming through, um, thank you so much for sending them through. I promise you we will get your questions answered. And as we have done uh, every week since we started this, we've got some packet seeds from our friends at Fothergills and we will send um, five winners today. Um, Robin will let you know after the show that you've won uh, for your questions and we'll send them through. And I'd love you to tell us how they've gone. Maybe send us a photograph as they start to germinate and get going. Um, I'm back next Monday for another great session of The Garden Gurus Live. It is, of course, at 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time and 9 a.m. for WA viewers. Don't forget to get your video submissions in, ideally via Facebook this Wednesday. We will pick two and we'll, we'll actually feature you next week. Don't forget state, uh, to state your name, Tell us where you are, state and suburb, ideally, and, of course, your question. And try and get a couple of maybe nice little tight close-ups of whatever the problem is. It really does help me when it comes to helping you. And remember, if you want any information, you can always jump onto our website. You can catch up on previous stories from The Garden Gurus by visiting our YouTube channel, which is thegardengurus.tv. And, of course, you can listen back to today's live stream and catch up on previous episodes by going to your favourite podcast provider. It's usually Spotify, Apple Podcast, and we also have it available via Audible. Wow, what a day. It's just the beginning of the week and look where we're at. I feel like I've just done the marathon with um, with the guys at the Australian Open. That's a lot of questions. We didn't quite do five and a half hours of them though. Thank goodness for that. I'm Trevor Cochran. Happy gardening, everybody. I look forward to seeing you again next week for The Garden Gurus Live.